Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pixels. The summer is reaching its end, um, and unless you're in the southern hemisphere, in which case, welcome to spring. Uh, my name is Patrick Beja. <laughs> We're back, and that lovely, lovely laugh you're hearing is that of Jocelyn. I guess you're not Moffat anymore. I'm not. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm <now> Jocelyn Carney. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show, Jocelyn. Well. I guess Jocelyn Moffat has been on the show before, but Jocelyn Carney hasn't. So uh, hope it goes well and, and it goes well, and you come back at some point. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for having me on. I always love doing pixels, and it's great to be here on not a game of the year day. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? We always say we want to do. This, I want to have you on the show more often, uh, and not just for games of the year. And this episode, I promised you, is not going to last three hours. Uh, my goal <laughs> is one, so we'll see how we go, uh, how we do. But to be honest, when we were preparing, I thought there would be a lot more in the Gamescom section. And then I saw all the presentations and uh, direct style uh, conferences from Gamescom. And I was like, yeah, it's probably going to go pretty quickly, uh, much more quickly than I thought. It was kind of boring, wasn't it? It was very quiet this year. I don't really know why. I mean, they, they all brought a lot to the table, but then I looked at what was on the table and I was like, oh, well... <laughs> okay <laughs> it's a lot of a lot well i don't want to say a lot of nothing that's a little bit harsh but um it it's a lot of stuff that we've seen at e3 already and to be honest it's not necessarily the 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 announcements that i'm talking about here it's just the 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 mood and the feeling of the conferences like there were four of them which we're going to go over but the nintendo one was an indie focused one uh the xbox inside xbox thing i'm going to talk about more later but god that was not great um <laughs> stadia connect was whatever stadia and uh, the games come opening night was kind of you know, it was a little bit better. Uh, Jeff Keighley knows how to handle that kind of thing. But uh, overall, I think it's especially the inside Xbox one that, I don't know, gave me cold sweats. Watching it entirely was, we'll talk about that, but um, was probably yeah. my least favorite one. For me, it really comes down to there seems to be a lot of either sequels or like re-releases on different consoles or, you know, different editions or whatever, but there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of just new and unique stuff. And like you said, we did see a lot of this from uh, E3 earlier on in the year. So there wasn't the kind of wow factor and there wasn't a whole lot of original stuff. So I kind of walked away from Gamescom going, oh, that was the thing that happened. <laughs> and and I think there are two factors. As you said, we saw a lot of stuff from E3, which is to be expected. That's how it goes every year. At E3, you yeah. present some new stuff. And then at Gamescom, the um, journalists can actually go out and try them, which, by the way, Gamescom is still going on. Um, so we're getting impressions from different press outlets, and they can actually play many of the games they've seen at E3. So in that sense, there is stuff to do there. Um, but as far, far as presentations go and the WoW factor excitement buzzy it it was definitely um a little bit lower than i would have liked and i think especially because the um the 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 consoles are at the end of their life so there's less mm -hmm. to announce to begin with so what there was to announce was announced at e3 and also blizzard uh, is not at gamescom this year they usually are and let's say 
every other year they announce a new game uh, at Gamescom, which is or a new expansion or something, which is you know a morsel to uh, latch on to. So nothing well, like that. Especially for the there. two of us, right? Because we're of we're course. so into the Blizzard universe. So <laughs> I think not having Blizzard at Gamescom this year was felt particularly by us. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. But it's it still, you know, one like of the biggest uh, developers. A gap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but we're still going to go over it. There were, you know, I'm sounding, I think we're making it sound super negative. It was not great, but there were still a few things. Let's start with the Nintendo. Uh, it was a very uh, indie-focused, well, entirely indie-focused um direct presentation. type presentation yeah and they had so there were a lot of games that were presented uh the few i kind of noted were risk of rain 2 which is coming this summer and this summer is quickly ending um <laughs> so it should be out fairly quickly super hot is already out on the console it's an old game but uh, i own it on like five different platforms and uh i still have not played it played it so Oh my uh, god. Yes, I know. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say because you loved it so much you wanted it on all these things. It's like no, I just own it in five places, but I've never touched it. I don't know. You know, it was probably given as a PlayStation Plus uh, free quote unquote game yeah. at some point. And I don't know. I like I I have actually never launched it that's how bad i am with super hot um but the big announcement oh there's a hotline miami collection coming to the uh switch it's already out actually um the, the big announcement was Ori in the Blind Forest uh, coming September 27th of course of course Ori in the Blind Forest is a microsoft um game and uh, it's coming to the Switch. They did mention we don't have any other plans to bring more stuff. Uh, I'm talking about Microsoft here uh, mm -hmm. to the Switch. So it's kind of putting a little bit of a damp on the um, the excitement that, oh, maybe they're going to be bringing a ton of stuff and more stuff on the Switch. Uh, to be fair, there isn't a lot more they could bring that the Switch can <laughs> handle. But um, yeah, Ori is going to be on the Switch. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Skater... Oh, go ahead. The point with that's okay. I was just gonna say the point with the, the Ori thing is just that even if right now there are no plans from Microsoft to bring more titles over to the Switch, at least we know that those lines of communication are open. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a good first step. And the more that all of these kind of companies and publishers and stuff work together, then the better it's going to be for us gamers. So I think this is a good first step and open lines of communication. Yay! And hopefully it does mean more in the future, even if there's nothing currently planned for mm. uh, microsoft going over the switch i'm curious how much of it is that rumored and highly wanted by me um streaming service by mark microsoft coming to the switch uh part of those plans and maybe they scaled that back a little bit um there was a really interesting um feature on phil spencer i think it was on GameSpot, um where he kind of essentially his message his pr uh, communication was to say streaming is going to be here but it's not going to be mainstream for a while uh mm -hmm. basically hold your horses on streaming which i think is fair because they don't want to make it seem like, oh, it's here for everyone. And of course, the infrastructure is not uh, there. But also, I wonder how much of this is Stadia is not going to be great for you. You want to buy the box that we're going to be selling. That's the thing you want. And then in, you know, two, three, four years, um, they will establish their streaming service as the thing that's already here because they've been working behind the scenes and uh, slowly getting uh, gamers used to it. 
And mm-hmm. I wonder if they didn't decide we're going to go slower than we initially thought and not going to bring it to the switch but that's like so much speculation i don't know it's kind of silly <laughs> I, it's a really good tinfoil hat theory to Thank me you. i mean <laughs> <laughs> let google do all the heavy lifting get us used to playing streaming games and then microsoft comes in and says bam here's yeah. our offering and it's better i mean it's going to be available uh very quickly microsoft's offering but i wonder if they're not going to keep it on the back burner like for those who want it it's there and maybe go less big on streaming than mm-hmm. they initially planned i don't know we'll see um so that's nintendo anything else you noted at uh on nintendo's conference or Uh, not really like i say there was a lot of kind of older stuff like torchlight 2 was a game i loved but i'm kind of like i i bought it and played it already (laughs) like do i do i need it on the switch but i i still i like the torchlight game so that's kind of cool same with dungeon defenders so thumbs up switch i guess (laughs) well that's a big part of the appeal of the switch it's that you get games that you maybe skipped or didn't have time to play like super hot maybe for some people (laughs) um and you get an opportunity to play them again because of course you could go and buy them on the platform that was existing before but the switch is new and shiny or newish and you can play them there and have it portable so i was going to say yeah the portability with the switch especially for some mm. of these smaller indie titles is is a really big sell because it's like if yeah. i'm going to be sitting at my computer or if i'm going to be streaming or whatever i'm probably going to be playing stuff that i want my pc to handle so some of these indie games are really great fits for the switch and for the portability aspect of it so i mean i love my switch i travel quite often for work now so Mm. just being able to like sit in an airport and play on my switch is awesome (laughs) so so uh, do you actually move because some people might not know but you're uh uh, casting a lot of uh uh, rocket league now esports and uh, so you move around for that is what you mean well, yeah, so I'm, I'm not actually casting. I'm doing uh, like content creation and social media coverage for a couple different companies. So um, I did Beyond the Summit just this last weekend. And I have also, I work very, very closely with DreamHack. I've been working with DreamHack for a couple of years now, uh, first on Hearthstone and then now on Rocket League because they discontinued their Hearthstone events, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought you were casting Rocket League. I'm a, I'm... Oh, no, I'm, no, definitely not casting. Oh my God, no. <laughs> all right. All right. Rocket League is like very, it's a very simple concept, but it's a very complicated game at the very highest level. Mm. So, <laughs> all right. Um, okay, let's move on to Inside Xbox. And basically, what was the bane of my Monday evening? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've speculated that it is the Americanness of Inside Xbox that gets to me. And by Americanness, I mean, you know, they have like some, it feels like it's a, a, a thing that was conceived to appeal to teenagers from the 90s. Like there's crowds and they're all neon and they have like piercings. The the, the pre- presentators, the presenters have like piercings and, and torn jeans and they're all like, woohoo, yeah, I love controllers. Yeah. And everyone claps. And like after an hour and a half, I felt like my brain was going to melt. It's, it's like... It feels to me like it's the American style and the Japanese style is weird as well. Like the Nintendo Direct, like super awkward and, and yeah. like, <laughs> it's but it's weird. weird. <laughs> it's, it's weird, cute. Like it's weird. It's yeah. awkward, but cute and honest. This feels like it's so much hype and yeah, that it's like, it doesn't 
come through as something that They're is trying very way too hard. <laughs> yeah. So you agree with me. It's not me dirty European feeling that way. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, the, I don't generally like the Xbox conferences very much. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, especially for Gamescom, when you put it at Gamescom, I, I feel like this kind of presentation fits maybe better when you have uh, an audience that is, you know, uh, uh, into the cause of Xbox already. But when it's Gamescom, you're going to have a lot more people from, you know, uh, uh, general gamers kind of that are going to be watching this. And it's a little bit too, it bleeds green a little bit too much for me. Um, mm. But still, I mean, there were a couple of interesting things. Um, the, the main one is how much Game Pass continues to be an incredible deal. Um, I, I talked about it before. I got it and I'm. it's a great opportunity to play some games that, um, the way I describe it is the games that I'm not sure I want to buy, so I hesitate and I'm like on the verge or of do I want them do I not want them pay full price and then I decide not to go with it but when they come to game pass I'm super happy to download them and give them a try because I even though I wasn't sure I was going to like them um, I really wanted to try them out and Devil May Cry is joining game pass like it's already joined now on top of like Stellaris uh, Age of Empires definitive edition Blair Witch which was announced at um, E3 that weird scary game which I'm sure you're gonna love um, <laughs> yeah this is one I'm actually really stoked about because I mean it's been a bit of a quiet summer and we've got a couple titles releasing uh, kind of next week and Blair Witch is yeah, one that's of them the 30th this, yeah yeah it looks so like creepy creepy to the point <laughs> that I don't know if I'm going to be able to play it I'm going to really give it a try and that's what Game Pass is so great for is that I can give it a try and if it scares me too much in the first five minutes I haven't paid full price and yeah. I can just move on but yeah so I've had Game Pass for a while too and uh, it's a great great value because they've added so many things to it and especially day one releases like it's been great yeah and I mean day one releases from Microsoft and some of their partners but Devil May Cry came out like what three four months ago uh, Ape mm -hmm. Out is also available on uh, uh, in August there are a bunch of things and I mean Game Pass is definitely uh, an excellent deal and it's Microsoft's biggest strength for really core gamers um, there was a bunch of other things one thing I noted is that PUBG is going to be cross console play uh, I'm sorry console cross play uh, so that was a, an interesting announcement because cross-play and cross-save are things that we all want so it's starting to be a little bit more common um they talked about borderlands 3 as it was so much so everywhere i was puking borderlands 3 by the end of that evening i like <laughs> it's overdose i'm borderlands 3 curious but that was like it was too much it it was almost off-putting there was so much of it uh they showed uh, ghost recon breakpoints pvp mode um there's what shadow keep destiny 2 shadow keep which again is a weird thing because they were talking about very specific things about the expansion which most people don't know about uh, i'm a big destiny 2 fan so it spoke to me but anyway um they closed big they ended big on gears 5 with uh, horde mode details they the characters are going to have ultimates now so they're a little bit different from one another um and yeah so that was the inside xbox conference anything jumped at you 
Uh, not really. I did see a lot of uh, the Gears 5 devs, though, talking about how they're not doing loot boxes, which I think is interesting <laughs> in the current in the current climate of uh, monetization post launch of a game. I think um, it's interesting that they're trying out different ways because it does seem like loot boxes are being targeted by legislation and they're obviously gamers hate them. So it's it's encouraging to see developers looking into a different direction because it, we're at the point now where they need to monetize post-launch because otherwise games would cost $150 a title and, and that's not really feasible. So if we keep our games at the same price, then companies have to monetize after the fact. So I'm totally fine with them charging me for you know, cosmetic things that don't impact my gameplay. I just want to know where my money's going. I hate loot boxes, <laughs> but I but I'll pay ten dollars for a cool skin in a game I play all the time. Well, you and many others uh, hate loot boxes, and I think the the, the they got the message. Uh, everyone's yes. <laughs> stopping loot boxes. Like the games that already have them, most of them are keeping them. Um, but I don't think anyone will launch a game now, except on mobile, which is a whole different thing. Uh, yeah, that's... will launch a game <laughs> with loot boxes. And did you see that uh, all the big publishers and platform holders are now requiring that uh, loot boxes display their percentage chance of getting getting different rarities of items. Um, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but everyone, you know, it might be tucked away in a, in a giant uh, wall of text somewhere and it might be I was going to say, yeah, there's going to be like a little like eye down in the corner. So like click for information that no one's ever going to click and it'll be right down at the bottom in super small type or something. It's possible. <laughs> but it'll be there. It'll but it'll be, be there. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and so it's everyone like Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony, all the big publishers, Activision, like all of them. So... Um, and, and, you know, honestly, this is to, I don't think loot boxes are going to stay for a long time. Everyone's moving to battle passes and stuff like that. So anyway, um, all right. So that was, uh, Microsoft's conference. Then we had a Stadia connect, which to Google's credit, they finally explained what Stadia is after having, like, at the third uh, uh, conference or presentation, uh, they said, you know, the cool thing about Stadia is that you don't need to buy a console, so you just buy the game and you're done, which is great, except because of they don't want to admit that the launch this fall is going to be kind of a beta, um, they said that, and then they said... But and and if you want to start playing in November, you have to pay 150 bucks to get the founders pack, which like just say this is going to be in a restricted beta and the actual launch where you only need to buy the game and that's it is going to be next year. Why don't they want to say that it's, you know, two, two different periods to clarify the message? I do not understand. Um, but at least they did say, you know, you don't need a console. Yeah, but you do need some hardware, though, right? Because you do still need um, the controller, don't you? Not really. So if you have a device you can connect a controller to, you can use that. So in practice, okay. you really don't need anything. The The advantage of that Stadia controller is that it connects via Wi-Fi. So you don't really need to be able to connect a controller to the device you're going to be using to play Stadia on that device. Like if it's, I don't know, a TV that only has, that doesn't have a, a port to connect a controller, for example. You have the app, it connects uh, to the stream, and the controls are beamed directly from your controller to the cloud via Wi-Fi. So that's the advantage of that controller, and it has a couple of other uh, uh, cool elements. 
But if you want to play on your TV or on your tablet or your phone, you can use any controller that connects to that. So you really okay. don't need anything to play once it is available to the general public, which is not going to be until, you know, sometime next year. Right. Um, they, the other thing they did is that they announced a bunch of games, which are not new games, but it's what they need. They need to have a, a bigger, um, a bigger stable of games, catalog of games. So they announced uh, things like Watch Dogs 3, Cyberpunk uh, 2077, Orc Orcs Must Die 3, which that is actually new. That was an announcement. I believe we didn't know it was coming. Uh, Darksiders Genesis, which might be interesting, coming soon. And uh, a big mm -hmm. one was Mortal Kombat 11, which is interesting because um, they are a fighting game is the thing that needs the most precise and lag-free experience you can get. So the fact that NetherRealm is willing to uh, throw Mortal Kombat on uh, Stadia means they, I'm guessing, they at least have some measure of confidence that it will be usable. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Super hot. Uh, as well the elder scrolls online <laughs> on stadia too <laughs> uh probably probably uh the elder scrolls online so stadia is going to have its mmo um borderlands 3 again it's everywhere and uh and a bunch of uh, other little things um watchdogs 3 and gods and monsters actually are uh ubisoft games which is interesting because you know we're going to get that uh ubisoft subscription service which is pc kind of pc only but also on Stadia, which means it's everywhere else. So you're going to be able to play all of the Ubisoft games on PC with the subscription service, but also on Stadia, all the ones that are available on Stadia. And so they just said Gods and Monsters, you know, that Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild looking thing. And mm -hmm. Watch Dogs 3 is going to be on Stadia. So if you have a Uplay Plus subscription service, you can play those uh, on Stadia and so on any device. So that's an important thing to note. But um, yeah, that's Stadia. Not much excite excitement uh, from your side of the world, I gather. Well, yeah, I mean, um, Stadia, I'm kind of in a wait and see place. I am very mm. encouraged by Mortal Kombat 11 being available on this platform for all the reasons that you said. Because the biggest concern with this is they're like, oh, yeah, the 60 frames per second, 4K on your Internet. And I'm like, um, Wait, sometimes my, my internet, internet? Yeah. yeah, sometimes my internet decides it doesn't want to play YouTube. So <laughs> like, what is this actually going to mean? Is this going to be reliable? Is it going to be responsive? Are we going to be able to actually have the same experiences like they keep touting when we don't have like consoles and downloads and playing mm. locally? Like when we're actually doing this streaming experience, is it going to work? And I think having Mortal Kombat 11 sign on to Stadia is a really big check mark in the pro side of the should I get this thing is like, well, if they're willing to put their game on this platform, it must be reliable. It must work. It must be responsive. Mm -hmm. So I'm I am excited about that. I'm not as excited about Darksiders Genesis. I'm really sad that they moved away from their like existing style <laughs> and mm. they went to this like dungeon crawler diablo looking thing and i'm just like Meh. <laughs> but well they're trying I mean, new things i i think it's well i think to me it looks like what they've done is they've cut their budget a little bit and they've gone with a style of game that they can create with what they've got to finish off their story so yay <laughs> but i i'm gonna i'm gonna miss the like because i i'm a really big fan of darksiders so 
Um, I really enjoyed even the most recent um, Darksiders three, three that they no. put out. Yeah, three three was all right. I I didn't hate it. So yeah. no, I um, meant Fury. Yeah. I can't remember which. Oh, of the... Fury. Yeah, Fury was the uh, was the main character. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Her cool whip thing, and yeah, mm. it was neat. It was good. Um, so to There's see them that... move to something different, I'm kind of like, oh, because that style of game, like that, and like the dungeon crawlery Diablo type style, and also the um like roguelikes they're just they're not my jam so mm. to see darksiders move into one of those two realms i'm just like oh man <laughs> so th there's a lot of people i definitely thought and it looks like a diablo type thing um apparently it's not though it's really a change in perspective but it's closer gameplay wise to what darksiders is so maybe there's hope um Maybe. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, there's one interesting thing about multiplayer games, though, on those services, on streaming services, which people often forget about. It's that you're all going to be in a very uh, high-speed connected server farms, which means the lag between, while the lag from you to the server might be greater than what you have with a console that is, you know, played locally, um, mm -hmm. the, the lag between the different players is going to be reduced dramatically. So it it's probably, that aspect is probably not, well, I don't know if it's not going to be as bad, but that is something to take into account when you think about how it's going to work, because it's like almost like being on a dedicated um, server when you're playing any online game with uh, these systems. So, yeah. Um, all right. What else? Uh, the last one is the opening night live, which I think was actually a pretty good move uh, from Gamescom. Essentially, it put them on the map a little bit more for a global global audience than they have been in the past. Uh, they asked Jeff Keighley to do an opening night stream um, with, you know, do whatever you want, essentially. So he kind of did what he does with the um, game uh, awards in December and did it for Gamescom. And I think it was uh, clever. Even if the thing itself was not incredibly exciting, um, it was still a good thing for Gamescom. I think it was it was the right move for Gamescom. And hopefully things will be a little bit more exciting next year when we're getting closer <laughs> to the uh, release of the next generation of console, actually. So we'll see what happens there. Um, they talked about Gears 5 again. Um, for people who are really old, Comanche is a game that I played on my Amiga 500 and it's coming back as a weird it's a helicopter simulator or arcade uh, game and it's coming back as a team-based online multiplayer which is weird it looks super weird I don't think we're going to hear much more about it but the name was you know means something to me um, Humankind is a kind of a Civ game which is developed by uh, Sega and ah who is it damn it Anyway, so it's a Civ, and it's coming 2020. That was an announcement that was um, pretty, you know, an actual announcement of a new thing. Um, Borderlands... Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, go ahead. I'm a little bit curious about Humankind, I'll be honest, because it looks interesting and challenging because you're basically trying to evolve your character or i guess your your monkey and your clan all the way up to becoming early humans if i understand correctly and you have to do literally everything from like even unlocking the ability to use two hands instead of one and like using wait are you sure we're talking about the same game 
I think you think so. Am uh, I talking? Am I thinking about something else? Are, are you thinking about ancestors or like what kind of game are you thinking about? This is a sim. Yeah. Okay. Is oh okay. I thought that hu- I thought it was ancestors like colon humankind. I guess I just got yes, them through so in my head. Okay. <laughs> ancestors is ancestors uh, the humankind odyssey. I think, and this is just humankind. Oh, okay. I so was like, I knew there was humankind in that name. Well, that's yeah. just confusing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but humankind. Uh, no, wait, I'm confused too. Ancestors <laughs> actually looks pretty cool as well. Ancestors um, looks cool. Yes. yes I'm going to go Google humankind real fast so I get the right thing. <laughs> uh, it, well, think about civilization and you've just got it. It's it really. Oh, looks okay. Because like yeah. I, I love humankind or I love Civ games. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You're going to want to uh, keep it. Okay. On now I see. All right. So mm-hmm. it is, it is different. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there was Borderlands 3, and in my notes, I, I noted effing again. I was really tired <laughs> by that point. Um, what else? Uh, uh, FIFA, all kind of things like that. Uh, Darksiders again. Um, do, do, do. Oh, and uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare is going to have crossplay on PC and consoles. And there is a, an open alpha for the 2v2 mode starting uh, this Friday. So probably when you're listening to this, it's already available. Uh, and then, of course, at the end, the Death Stranding gameplay and the love fest between Kojima and and uh, Keely, uh, who Keely, by the way, is a, si- a small character in the game. So that is kind of like they love each other so much. And I, I don't know. I can't separate the, if their actual friendship from being like Keely being super shrewd and doing that famous uh, uh, s- solemn declaration that Konami's lawyers didn't let Kojima come to the Game Awards like three years ago. And that sealed their images together forever. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if he did it because he actually cares. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but it was very clever of him um but yeah anyway so we got death stranding gameplay it's open world we got characters trailers and um some gameplay which is essentially um the character got up peed and delivered the package and uh i'm making it sound less super confused about this game (laughs) (laughs) i think everyone is yeah, but everyone seems so stoked on it. And I'm like, you don't even know what it is. <laughs> Maybe that's why we're so stoked on it. I'm curious. Maybe. I'm still definitely curious. Um, I mean, Kojima, if he can do anything, he can do many things, but he, he will make you uh, want to know more about the things that he's showing you. And I joked about the fact that he actually peed on the... Not Kojima. Kojima didn't pee on the floor. <laughs> on the, uh, the character in the game played by... Oh, what's his name? Uh, that guy, Walking Dead. Norman Reedus. There you go, Reedus. Uh, so he woke up and peed and then got to deliver his thing. And Kojima talked about the fact that you need to connect different points, which I, th- I really think is going to be very light gameplay wise, but you need to connect different points on the map. And there's also connections between um, he kind of implied wink wink that there are going to be connections between the different players in the multiplayer aspect of it. Meaning if yes. many people play uh, 
pee at the same spot, then there's something that, that's going to happen in that spot. In the demo we saw, it was like a, a, a mushroom growing. It was like, it's Kojima weird. But um, yeah. I, I'm intrigued by the idea that he would be playing around with the multiplayer aspects like that and like asynchronous multiplayer thing. Yeah, that does seem like what he's been talking about for the last couple of conferences, because I feel like we had something very similar coming out of E3 from him, because that, I think, is the first time where he started talking about the idea of this asynchronous, connected, multiplayer world and talking about how important it actually was to make these connections. And everyone's like, make connections how? What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) There's been so much speculation about how much of the gameplay will be making connections and unlocking more things on the map like you talked about versus asynchronous multiplayer and how much I'll be able to impact your iteration of Death Death Stranding by doing stuff on my system and am I connected with absolutely everyone or is it regional or just my friends like how how why do these connections go and no one knows. (laughs) yeah that's well i guess we're gonna have to interesting anyways like he is definitely intriguing but man it's it's so close to release now and we still know so little Uh, you know the thing is kojima could just say nothing at all about a game and it would still you know some people would still buy it and be happy yeah they'd be on board so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean he has at least a couple of um you know shots at not shots but like there are he he would need to make a, a lot of really bad games for people to stop loving him no matter what he does so but i you know i'll be honest i'm intrigued by it too i'm i'm curious to see and even if there is no um you know transcendent gameplay experience the world he's created alone if there's some semblance of coherence i will be interested in in you know experiencing for a a little while so we'll see um a couple of tidbits uh mortal kombat is gonna have a crazy season pass like combat pack they they call it uh the characters that are gonna be coming to the game uh of course it's a warner brothers property so those are part of it uh the joker terminator spawn and some others so it's i think it's kind of fun that they do these things and they don't take themselves too seriously but uh terminator is actually full-on the 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 you know the character with the schwarzy look he he's very well uh, rendered and modeled so that's kind of cool and the other thing i wanted to mention is sega uh is bringing yakuza 3 4 and 5 um with a remastered collection on playstation 4 of course and the reason i'm mentioning it is that i have i'm i've recently become curious about yakuza because i have experienced a game in a genre that i didn't think i was gonna love that has nothing to do with yakuza um (laughs) but it's kind of opened my mind to maybe giving another go at some uh game genres that i i don't like um and i think yakuza might be my next uh experience in that uh, area we'll talk about that in just a moment but um yeah so mortal kombat and yakuza um have you ever played yakuza I haven't, but I have a couple of friends who speak very, very highly of it. 
I don't know if it's necessarily my game, but I do know that like there there are people that absolutely love it and uh, really like the gameplay. And they're very long games from from what I understand. So that's kind of I I tend to shy away from experiences that are just really, really long because I have so many other like I'm playing so many games as a services right now that it's really hard to find time. To, to play, you know, like a 50, 60, 70, 80 hour game, right? So. But you're a streamer. You could, you could just <laughs> play more. That's very true. It's very true. But then, you know, I'm streaming WoW and I'm streaming Hearthstone. I'm streaming Dead by Daylight. Like it just uh, trying to, to fit those single player experiences in. When you know that they're huge, then that, mm. like I, I played um, Days Gone and I really enjoyed that. And that had a fairly large story, but. I was still able to complete it in about 30 hours. So, you know, that's a much more manageable chunk <laughs> of single player gaming where I don't start to feel guilty for, you know, not playing the other things I should be playing for streaming or podcasting <laughs> reasons. <laughs> well, let's talk about those things that we are playing uh, for many reasons, uh, essentially the games that we've played this summer. And uh, if it's OK, I'm going to start. Uh, I played so there are three main games that i played first destiny 2 i've been talking about it forever i still love it i played a bunch during the summer and i still love it as much as i ever have if if not more very excited about the expansion coming uh october 1st but i won't talk too much about that because you'll know how i feel about it it's just great and you know that i love it um i bought marvel ultimate alliance 3 knowing that it's not a great game um, but I thought, you know, it's not great, but you get to meet new characters and, um, you, if you're, if you love Marvel characters, then that kind of carries the fun for you. And it kind of did, but not so much that I played for a long time. I played a few hours and I would, it's kind of, I would play it more if there weren't so many other great games that I want to mm. play. Um, it's that in that kind of area. It's still a fun enough game, um, just not spectacular. Um, and the last one is the one I want to talk about a little bit more, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. And I was on the fence as much, if not more, as I was for Marvel Ultimate Alliance or as I am for uh, Devil May Cry 5, because I've never enjoyed uh, the strategy games, you know, uh, turn-based strategy games, or I haven't for like 20 years. And I don't... I didn't love the social aspects of Persona 5. I liked them in Persona 4. I don't know why it didn't grab me in Persona 5. Um, and Fire Emblem Three Houses is essentially those two combined. It's the two mashed together, the uh, turn-based strategy game part and the social simulation uh, dating sim kind of manager <laughs> with um, you are, being the teacher. Aren't they like kids in school and you're the teacher i don't know if you should call it a dating sim. it is very disturbing <laughs> it is extremely disturbing it's not outright dating although apparently there are some romancing options if you play a certain way um but it's still like you're a teacher but you're their age and they acknowledge it in the dialogue but it's still weird and you're kind of flirty with some of them and it's weird because they're young and you're their teacher but you're there it's that aspect is definitely very japanese but 
um, for some reason, the, the mix of both of them completely worked on me. And I've played, like, I'm at 45 hours now. I'm, like, I guess three quarters in. Um, and I think I'm going to finish it. And it's just, it was engrossing. And maybe it was because I was off and I had time to immerse myself in it. But it's very um, surprising how well it worked on me. It's, I think the fact that you have the um, alternating modes, like the, the strategy and the uh, being in school. So the reason we're saying it's like teacher student simulator is that um you have to choose you, you are essentially a teacher at a school where you teach strategy to your students and uh, you choose one of the three houses from the school like um harry potter style and those students become your class and you follow their story and the other two houses have a different story and so you learn there are like 10-ish characters per house um, and you can help them improve. And of course, every um, thing that you can help them improve in is not, you know, math or science or literature. It's swords and writing and uh, armor and that kind of thing. And so you learn to know the different characters that make up your class and you spend a lot of time with them. As I said, I'm 45 hours in and I'm not even done. Um, so you, you, I was really going to say, so you, you keep talking about the school. Have you, have you made it to like part two yet? Yes. And I don't want to spoil. Okay. Um, okay. But I have. Okay. And yes. I was like, if you spent 45 hours and just did part one, like there's another part to the game. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You've and got a lot of time still to go. <laughs> so the the problem there, it's a good point. Um, I was so afraid because, of course, one of the sticks of Fire Emblem games is that most of the time, for most uh, players, you play in regular mode, which is a little bit more hardcore because there's permadeath. And so it gives an air of difficulty to the game. So I was, even though I chose to play in easy with no permadeath mode, I was still very much afraid that I was not going to be good um, at the game. So I min-maxed everything. I was spending huge amount of time doing everything I could with every session because the way it works is um, you have like a month and at the end of each month you have a battle which is the real-time strategy and throughout the month you have um, every week different things you can do and I was doing everything you can skip some of them automate some of them but I was doing everything so I ended up uh, very quickly after I don't know maybe two or three session, uh, uh, two or three months, so two or three battles, um, out-leveling the game by a significant amount, which, like, to a point where I'm one-shotting everything now, everything. And mm -hmm. it's not that I'm enjoying it. I guess I'm enjoying it a little bit less, but at the same time, it's every battle takes... Some of them, by the end, take like 45 minutes. So I don't mind being a little bit overpowered. But it's like a serious design flaw. You, the fact that you can outlevel and become invulnerable um, through just playing the game as well as you can, I think is... A, a real problem and apparently hard mode is not that much harder um there's a new mode that's coming in the next few weeks that is going to be actually hard but um that that was a problem but still like i found myself 
taking notes to see what I should make my students study and and to reach the ultimate class that I want them to reach when they're high enough level. Um, I was like going to the uh, fishing mini game and collecting flowers and like doing everything. And I'm really glad that I gave it a try because there are so many games, I think it's the same for everyone, but so many games that you you feel like you're left outside of, like there there's an mm -hmm. excitement, everyone loves it, and you're like, I, I just don't get it, you know, it's not my thing, and not that happens only to me I... with Animal Crossing. Oh yeah! <laughs> Every oh. time there's a new Animal oh. Crossing, everyone goes insane, and I'm just like, I don't understand. Uh, I same with me. Like I do not get that game. I didn't play. Like I didn't like Stardew Valley. I didn't like. There are a number of them, but here with Fire Emblem, I essentially got to enjoy a uh, turn-based strategy game and a like social simulator kind of game at the same time. So I, I'm like, I feel super good about having played that game. I'm like genuinely happy about, uh, about that, about, about, I like the game. I actually, I think I love it. There's a little lull at some point. <laughs> it was getting a little bit too, too much because I spent so much time doing everything, but I still love it. But even more than that, I love the fact that I got to love it, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. So, no, it totally does. Yeah. So Fire Emblem Three Houses. You you didn't play it, I gather. Uh, no, no, I didn't play it. But uh, my co-host on Gamers In, Ryan, has been playing it for uh, quite a while now. So mm. he's because uh, he's really into Fire Emblem. He um, plays a lot of the mobile title Fire Emblem, I think, Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, so he's been playing that forever and has always really been into the Fire Emblem franchise. So yeah, Three Houses came out. And that's all he talks about. So <laughs> and I told him, I'm like, you can tell me whatever you want, spoil whatever you want. I'm not going to play it. So go for mm. it. So yeah, he's I'm I'm playing it vicariously through him. <laughs> and you know what? I'm so happy that I get, can you say that? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I play it too. I'm part of the club. Like I'm part of the club of the people who play that game that is being hyped over the summer. I'm like, it makes <laughs> me so joyous. It's irrational, the amount of, of happiness I get out of this. I can hear it in your voice. <laughs> it's insane. It's crazy. Makes um, me want to go play. <laughs> maybe you should. Um, <laughs> I guess it's not going to be your cup of tea, though. Although there is a... a tea party mini game that is delightful <laughs> and i i really like you offer tea to the students and that's where it gets a little bit you know anyway um tea is fun joss uh tell me about dead by daylight it's you you love it and i heard it had a rough a rough launch but i've been hearing from different people that it's a really good game now uh yeah so dead by daylight i had played off and on just like super casually. We used to play it when we did the extra life marathon streams because it's a horror game. So it's has those like jump scare moments and things. And it would keep us awake through like, you know, the four and 5 AM <laughs> to, to get to the 24 hour mark. So um, that was kind of my experience with dead by daylight was kind of like picking it up once a year and then playing it with four or five friends and doing it for the marathon. And then I was looking on Twitch. Sorry, like, ju just for a second, um, for the people who don't know exactly what it is, it's uh, asyn uh, um, asynchronous? Um, asymmetrical. Asymmetrical, thank you. PvP game where there's one killer, like Psycho Killer, Jason, that kind of thing, versus three people who try to survive. Uh, four people four, who try to four survive. Four people, yeah. Right. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's 4v1. 
And the point of the game, it's very kind of simple in its design, is there's like five objectives on the map that you have to complete. Once you do, you can open the gate and you can escape and the killer is trying to prevent you from doing that. So it's it's very, very simple on the surface. But um, I find it extraordinarily entertaining to watch. And that's kind of what got me into it is I was just bored on Twitch one day and I was like, nobody's really streaming Hearthstone right now that I want to watch. Like, I, I just want to kill some time. And I was like, you know what? I've had fun in Dead by Daylight when we played it for Extra Life. I'm going to go check out a couple streamers, see what's going on. And I watched for like eight hours. <laughs> I was like, what is happening right now? And uh, so I kind of um, got over my like fear of, because I, I have so much ladder anxiety in any game that I play. And Dead by Daylight basically is just a competitive ladder. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you know what? This is just, it looks so fun. I've been watching a lot of streams. I understand the concept i'm gonna give it give it a try and i've been playing it almost every day ever since <laughs> it's just so much fun and it's hit it's a three-year anniversary now so it's a very big very complicated game because each different patch adds a new killer which adds new powers which adds new um perks into the game which are like uh skills that you can level and unlock basically and then you make a build of four skills and then go into the battle against either the killer or the survivors depending on what side you're playing and uh it's really really fun and and has those like jump scare moments even still that i've been playing for five or six months now i still get jump scared because you're playing against other people you're not playing against the ai so it's always going to be scary because it's not predictable. So I just, I've really, really been enjoying it. And they just announced that their next DLC is going to be Stranger Things. So oh, I think nice. there's, apparently the uh, Stranger Things announcement trailer for the DLC has like yesterday, a day after it released, had 5 million views. Jeez. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's getting a lot of buzz for the game right now. So I'm hoping that that brings in some new players and and get some attention on this game because um it's like i said it's three years old now and it had um kind of a, a rough-ish launch it was just kind of like a little quiet 20 dollars indie title in the beginning but mm. it's really grown since then and they've gotten a lot of these licensed characters so you can play as like michael myers you can play as amanda the pig from saw you can play as Freddy, uh, Ghostface from the Scream movies. There's like there's lots and lots and lots of uh, licensed characters in the game now. And Stranger Things is is the newest addition to that. And so I think it's bringing in some some fandom and some like putting more eyes on this game. And I'm having so much fun. I think it's great. So it sounds really cool. Uh, but when you talk about um, uh, uh, asymmetrical multiplayer games my mind immediately goes to evolve uh which had an issue in that uh it was a monster versus uh you know four versus hunters. hunters right wasn't it yeah, yeah it was hunters and and the issue was it, it they didn't manage to balance it properly because if you were the the monster essentially you were under you could evolve three times first stage you were underpowered second stage you were okay and third stage you were completely overpowered and the hunters stood no chance that's uh, what i heard from this is this one like actually balanced in a 4v1 it seems really difficult because 
if the the killer finds one uh, of the the players, the survivors, then they should be able to destroy them. And if it's four v one, then I don't know how is it. How do they balance it? So the developers have said that the the way that they expect the games to play out, the the level that they're trying to balance to, is that two survivors die and two survivors manage to escape. That's their balance level. That's what they mm. think that a, a fair game experience is where like the killer doesn't fully win, but the survivors don't fully win. And that's kind of what they're, what they're aiming for. So obviously it's an average. Some games you'll have a killer that will kill all four players very quickly. Sometimes it'll go the other way. You'll have the survivors running circles around the killer um, because there are a lot of different ways. So the survivors can't, attack or damage the killer in any way like the killer can't oh, die okay. <laughs> um which is very it's, it's, very true to the jason and uh yes uh, exactly yeah, psycho killer <laughs> um, it's almost like a competitive hide and seek because the killer the ki the killer is running around the map looking for the survivors trying to disrupt what they're doing and sacrifice them to the entity And then uh, the survivors are trying to avoid the killer and are trying to complete the objectives in the map and then escape. So it is very much like as playing as the killer, you have to try to run around the map and locate survivors before they're able to do all the objectives. You can see the objectives, but there's like, I think there's seven objectives and the survivors have to complete five. So you can't just like stand at one objective and be like, You can never have this one. Ha ha, I win. Right. <laughs> so I see. So it's, it's it, it, it is quite balanced. There's mm. there's some things that aren't, but they're also quite quick to get in and change things. So it's not and I'm I say it's quick. The Dead by Daylight community says that it's slow, but <laughs> I come from a world of Hearthstone, which before 2019 would take like 12 months to change things, sometimes never. So to me, it's very quick. They go in and make balance changes very right. quickly. <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's interesting because my thoughts about that kind of game, it immediately went to combat. But I'm guessing, of course, there is some of it, but... It seems like what you're saying is that's not the point. The point is that the killer, the killers, you should avoid the killer. And if yes. they find you, then you're kind of screwed or chances are you're going to be screwed. So that's not the what you're trying to do. You're not trying to beat the killer. Right. Yeah. You're trying to essentially Escape, evade yeah. the killer. Right. Yeah. And there is a lot of um, you get points for being chased. So uh, the killers are very slightly faster than the survivors so like in an all-out straight sprint eventually the killer will catch you <laughs> and But. i guess there's this moment there's these scenes of like oh my god he's behind me he's behind me he's gonna oh get my me. god so much so much and the the design of the killers they're all much larger than the survivors they're very um they have this like presence about them the the actual character design is is really really good And uh, you essentially, as a survivor, there's like walls around the map with like windows you can jump through. And if you jump through a window, the killers go through windows more slowly. So it becomes like knowing your environment and figuring out how you can like break line of sight with the killer so that he's not 100% sure where you are and then hiding. So like there is a lot of your points that you actually gain as part of your uh, ability to survive and your and your rank on the ladder and everything else that has to do with how often can you be chased by the killer and not die? 
So there's that escape factor. There's like escape points that happen throughout the mm. match. So it's a, it's a complicated and, and very interesting game for such a simple concept. And it has a really good community too, both on Twitch and uh, in game. I was shocked because that's always like my big fear with, you know, being on a ladder, being on a team. Like I don't even like necessarily doing like LFR and Warcraft, like, cause some online communities, especially if you're getting into an asymmetrical PVP, it can be very, very toxic. But I've found that if I go into the end game chat and almost everybody, when you go into the end game chat, will just say like GG and then either they leave or whatever. But the ones that stick around to talk, like sometimes I'll say, since I'm so new to the game and I don't know everything and there are so many complicated interactions between the different like skills that you can choose going into the match. I'll say something like, oh, hey, killer dude, like, how did you know I was over here? And he'll say, oh, because I had this thing. And then, you know, next time you're in the game, don't heal right close to this. And I'm like, oh, mm. I didn't know that. Thank you. So there, there is a really it's like people that play Dead by Daylight are super stoked when other people want to play Dead by Daylight. Right, so they right. do everything <laughs> they can to, like, explain the game and make people want to come back. So, I mean, every once in a while you you run into a jerk because it is it's, of it's the Internet. It's an online game, you know, whatever. But of all of the online titles that I've played, Dead by Daylight has the best community. That sounds so cool. You're making me want to play that game um i seem to have that effect on people garrett said the same thing and he well he's a horror fan so it was a really easy sell for him but mm -hmm. so okay last question um how easy is it to get into because you mentioned of course a game that's three years old that has had a lot of updates can be a little bit opaque um how how easy is it do you need to put a you know to set aside 15 hours to start understanding how it's working or do you have fun straight away um, I think, or I had fun right away. Um, that being said, it's a very complicated game because there is like a set of base skills on both sides, on the killer side and the survivor side. And then every single survivor and every single killer has three of their own skills that they bring to the game. And once mm -hmm. you get that killer or survivor up to a certain level, you can teach those skills to others of your same type. So um, it gets very complicated because I think there's um, 15 or 16 killers and survivors now. So like 45 potential skills on each side on top of the base kit and all the different interactions and builds that you can make with those does become very, very, very complicated. There's a lot of different iterations mm. of how you can potentially play the game. And it's all um, so you basically earn what's called blood points and then you use those to buy your skill and you can earn them as either a killer or survivor and spend them anywhere you want. So I can play as one character I know really well and then use what I've earned on that character and spend it on another character to level it up. Mm. So it's, it's kind of nice because it's flexible like that. So if you find one character or one style of play that you really enjoy, you can play that and level up everything else in the background sort of thing. But it is like, I mean, most of my characters and I have 130 hours in the game now, approximately. Wow. So about, about 100 hours since I, since I started playing it like five months ago. Because um, I had about 25 or 30 hours in it already just from very, very casual play. And uh, so I have about 100 hours in it. And most of my characters are still level one. 
because I, I just haven't uh, haven't gotten enough like points <laughs> to level them up. So it's a daunting game. There's a lot to it, but it's a lot of fun. I think you can jump in and have fun if you're if you're in the right mindset. Like, don't jump mm. in thinking that you're going to be the best survivor ever. Like, you jump into your first game and you will die probably right away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you just kind of have to accept that. Like, I go into the game thinking. If I'm playing a survivor, I am going to die. And if I survive, then that's like a bonus, <laughs> which I don't think is the mentality a lot of people have. They want to mm. win, right? And I'm just like, if I survive for two minutes and last game I survived for one minute, then I won. Like I did better than last time. So you, thumbs up. <laughs> you have excellent an excellent mindset for online games. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I might check it out. And uh, if the listeners want to as well, uh, of course they should. But if you want to get the enjoyment out of that without having to check it out yourself, you can go watch uh, Jocelyn play on Twitch. Um, okay. Oh, you mentioned Blair Witch and Man of Medan as games you're looking forward to. We talked a little bit about Blair Witch. Um, do you want to tell us very, very quickly about Man of Medan? Is it a horror thing as well? I can't remember. Uh, so basically, I know almost nothing about it because I've been trying to avoid spoilers. But the one thing I do know is it's made by the people who made Until Dawn. I don't know if you ever played Until Dawn. I didn't, it but was... I know of it, of course. Yeah, it was a PlayStation only title and it was a it was a horror game, but it was more of a it's very story based and it's and you, you know, had like to make choices had, really quickly. Right? You had to make That's choices. Yeah. yeah, you had to make really quick choices and your characters like any character in the game could die, which I found very, very interesting. I managed to make it through my playthrough with only one death, but that like just the fact that you could have any character die because normally you have you know like main characters that you know are safe and there would be like satellite characters that like yeah they're my friends i want them to live but you know your main character usually feels pretty safe but in until dawn they were just like no you can literally kill them in the first act and then have to choose a different character to play mm. <laughs> like that was it was just such an interesting concept and the game itself was very well written. The story was super interesting and pulled from some really interesting like folklore, uh, specifically like North American folklore. Um, and so I, I found that to be super, super compelling and really fun to play. It had some jump, some jump scares in it, but it wasn't like full on slasher horror. There was a lot of suspense, I guess. And like jump scares of stuff would be like, there's a face in the window that wasn't there a second ago, like that kind of stuff. Mm. It wasn't like somebody actually jumping out at you. It was more noticing changes in the background. Mm. And I like that kind of horror. I'm less of a jump scary kind of person. I like to turn around and be like, Oh, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I, I really, really enjoyed until dawn. So when I saw that they were putting out another game in a similar vein, so that's basically all I really know about it is okay. it's from the developers of Until Dawn. It's going to be in the same sort of gameplay vein as Until Dawn, and it's a new story. So I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> that's all I need to know. And it comes out next week, and I'm super stoked. <laughs> all right. Well, that's Man of Medan, and uh, I guess something else to look forward to. 
Um, all right, let's go over a few of the things that happened uh, this summer, and uh, we're going to go over them relatively quickly. Uh, base first thing I want to mention, because I love fighting games, uh, Riot confirmed that they are indeed working on a fighting game. Um, that was kind of an open secret, but the fact that Riot, developer of League of Legends, that have not done anything for since they launched League of Legends, so it's going to be, what, 10 years? Um they have confirmed maybe a little bit less but they've confirmed mm -hmm. they're working on a new game and it's going to be a fighting game i'm very very curious um so we'll have to wait and see what happens there evo happened love it as always uh, a bunch of cool things happened uh we're not going to go over them the fortnite world championship happened as well and a kid won three million dollars prompting every talk show host in the U.S. to make super funny jokes about uh, kids playing video games and winning tons of money. Um, it's really a generational thing, I think. It's like, we can't, at this point, I don't think we can expect the previous generation. And I say that as a 45-year-old man, um, <laughs> the previous generation to really understand what's happening there. I don't know. Maybe they will at some point, but the 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 attempts at humor and the display of bewilderment were really off-putting to me um but anyway so and then he was uh swatted which awesome um you know that's kind of i mean maybe i should go play day, dead by daylight to have a little bit of wholesome community moments because that was frustrating <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think people necessarily understand how dangerous it could be. Like, they think it's a prank. But, I mean, when you're talking about real-life police men and women, like, they are trained to take every threat very seriously. And one wrong step could end up in a horrible situation. And it has in the past. So I think right. that, like, people just don't realize what they're doing. Or I hope they don't realize what they're doing. Because, like, someone can get seriously hurt. And this just, oh, it's so disgusting. It, yeah. It's so upsetting. And you're, you mentioned it. It happened before. And he was mentioning that his mom, when, for those who don't know, swatting is basically uh, calling a, a, a threat on the address of someone so that they will send, the, the authorities will send, a, will send a SWAT team to resolve the situation. And of course, it's a person streaming usually, and they just, you know, don't know what's happening. So the 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 reason people do it i think is to see and have that twisted fun of seeing what happens on the stream when they have the result of their assholery displayed and his mom apparently went to open the door with a knife in her hand and it was like uh, nothing happened thankfully but anyway that's mm -hmm. really disgusting um the uh, ninja left twitch for mixer and that's a big deal, of course, because Ninja is the biggest Twitch uh, streamer for Fortnite, which is the biggest game in the world right now. And uh, we don't know how much Microsoft, who, which owns Mixer, uh, paid Ninja to uh, move over. But he's moved over for at least a few years and exclusively. So he exclusively streams on Mixer now. Um, the, the rumblings were mentioning uh, amounts that are around 50 million dollars as a deal to get him to uh, stop streaming on twitch and going to mixer which honestly i can believe because he he's making so much money now abandoning all of that and going to another platform that he's uh having to develop the audience for um in in every way is 
probably would require a lot of money. So um, yeah, that's that happened, and it's a new step in the new in the way the new media works. It's like fighting for talent with millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, and I mean the one the one thing because Ninja is a little bit uh, notorious on Twitch or had been for having not a great community and having not a great Twitch chat and really not moderating in any way, shape, or form. And the one thing that Mixer has had over Twitch in the past is a very, very, very clear terms of service and pretty much universally applied. Like the what like Twitch is just terrible for you know not universally applying punishments for the same crime, essentially. And Mixer is not that way. They have always been very strict and banning people left, right, and center for not complying to their terms of service, as as you should. And there's a lot of people that don't necessarily like Mixer's terms of service. They find them to be um, too conservative, particularly around, you know, what women are allowed to wear when they're streaming. But you may not like the terms of service, but at least they are very clear (laughs) like there's no there isn't really any wiggle room or gray area in mixers terms of service which as a result has allowed the platform in general to be very uh welcoming and much less toxic and they've dealt Mm. with a lot of the problems that twitch has so to take a, a streamer like ninja Obviously, if you're paying him millions and millions and millions of dollars to move on to your platform, he's going to bring his audience, which is notoriously toxic. What is Mixer going to do over the next few months is the impact of Ninja's um, Ninja's subscribers going to be negative on the community that Mixer has built, or are they going to ban half their audience that they paid <laughs> millions of dollars for? <laughs> like, I, So I'm curious to see how this goes over the next few months and, and what it's like to actually interact with people on Mixer and what the impact on the platform is, because... I think it's a very curious move. I mean, obviously now everyone's talking about Mixer on par with Twitch, which was not happening before. It was like Mixer was just off in the corner <laughs> trying to do their own little thing with, with this behemoth of Twitch. And now they're in the same conversations. So it was obviously a good move for Mixer. But um, I'm interested to see how the platform evolves over the next few months as a result of this. Because he's got one million subscribers already. Yeah, even more probably now. Um, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. We're we're gonna have to see if they can uh, manage to apply those uh, you know strict rules when they have that many uh, viewers, uh, because I'm sure the communities were a lot smaller before Ninja showed up. Um, But it's certainly a first step, and it shows that Microsoft is taking this thing, the streaming thing, very seriously. And as you said, like Mixer was kind of a joke. It was insignificant. Um, And now it's obviously it's not in any uh, uh, same category as Twitch, but it's gone up a few steps. And as you said, we're mentioning them in the same conversation at this point. Um, so it's not a joke anymore. It's just a thing that is a lot less successful than Twitch, but that exists. And I wonder what's going to happen with the next generation of consoles, how much more it's going to factor into their um, strategy going forward. Surely, they, if they did all this, it's because they want to make something out of it. So we'll see what they do.
Um, all right, a few quick hits. Sony bought Insomnia Games, the developer of Spider-Man, which uh, made a lot of people happy and some people unhappy because they want another Sunset Overdrive, which is exclusive to the uh, Xbox. But uh, Insomniac Games did say they uh, owned the rights to the IP, just not the first game. So we could see a second one on PlayStation 5 or whatever. And certainly Spider-Man 2 will be coming uh, on PlayStation 5, I'm sure. But it seems like a good move. And it, again, reinforces that idea that content is what matters now, especially as platforms are becoming more cloudy. Yeah, the platforms in a lot of cases are very, very close to each other in terms of tech. So it really does come down to to who's building what games as yeah. to which ones you're going to invest in. So, I mean, I always end up by the end of the console cycle with all of them. Yeah, but I def <laughs> I definitely make a choice at the beginning because I mean they're big investments now. So I definitely make a choice right at the beginning and say like, okay, is this the generation where I start with PlayStation or do I start with Xbox? And you know, it always comes down to well, what can I play on those two platforms? Because technology technologically they're basically the same yeah and and we're very serious core gamers most people will buy only one um yes so, yeah yeah uh there is a uh leak from well not a leak a filing on the fcc that shows a super nes style controller for the switch which means um super nes games are probably going to be coming to the switch how that's an interesting question. Are they going to include them in the Switch Online um, subscription, which is really cheap? Or my theory, which I'm not sure is definitely going to happen, but might, is that they're going to create a second tier for Switch Online, which will give you access to the Super NES games on top of the NES ones. And maybe um, they did something over the summer. They gave you Mario Tennis Aces for a week to play. And I think maybe the existing tier will be you get a game for a week every month and the um, a higher tier will give you a game or two for the whole month so you don't keep it but you can play it for that month and that i think might happen but this is wild speculation on my part <laughs> i'm i'm excited about this although i've played a lot of the i mean i have the the mini console version i had like the Super Nintendo was my first video game console. Like I'm I'm super excited about this, except I've played them all over the place. What I want to see is somehow them go beyond the um, Nintendo and Super Nintendo up to the 64. If they start putting out 64 games on the Switch, I would buy all of them, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> that, you know, no, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to get a lot of hate, but uh, I, I will Why? say this. The <laughs> No, the 64, I loved Mario 64, but that was about it. But um, mm. I was more of a PlayStation person. Um, uh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I would be very happy to see Super Nintendo, uh, Super NES games. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about Modern Warfare. Um, we've seen a lot of discussion, or I've heard a lot of discussion about modern warfare the next uh call of duty coming in like a month or two now and the discussion is that it's going to be extremely gritty and violent and unsettling in the way that war is and that's really interesting to me because it, they, they're doing a reimagining of modern warfare and 
everything we're hearing about this could go both ways at this point. Either it's going to be they managed to put this kind of violence and 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 uh, horror of war in context and make something that is that has never really been done before in a media where you know shooting enemies with guns is essentially what we do in almost every game um which would be to use the medium to make you experience war as it really is not glamorized um mm-hmm. which would be something not for everyone of course i'm not even sure i would want that but it would be really interesting or they just they don't put it in context in context at all and they do the you know press x to mourn uh thing that call of duty <laughs> knowers will remember um and they just use the violence as just a way to create buzz uh, around the game and that would be of course very distasteful and probably would create a controversy that will likely increase their sales because any controversy in that sense would uh do that but they do have uh developers from the old infinity ward which is the Infinity Ward is developing the game, but some developers left. Vincent Zampella went to respawn. So a couple of developers came back. Um, so they're the original developers of Modern Warfare. And they have some people from Naughty Dog who are, uh, we would hope, skilled in storytelling. So it's probably the most interested I am to see how a Call of Duty uh, turns out that I've been in years. For my love for the first Modern Warfare, which we tend to forget, but was a groundbreaking game in every single way back at when it first came out, and for that aspect of it, which I'm curious about. Um, so I wanted to mention it. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk about was WoW Classic. Uh, it's coming out, wait, is it tomorrow? Yes, it is tomorrow, on Friday 23rd. Um, and apparently Blizzard has been saying that there are going to be very long login queues, uh, over 10,000 uh, people queues on some servers, and that's even with their temporary layering technology that's going to allow more pe- more people to log into uh, the servers than they there were back when the game first launched um classic is i have to admit it's surprising me with its popularity and the genuine amount of uh excitement and love people are expressing for the old experience of world of warcraft um I still don't think it's going to last very long for most people or they're going to, as they're going to be reminded of what that experience actually was over the long term. How it, however exciting it is for 10 hours or 50 hours of game time, long term you need things to change a little bit to be more to be less uh uh uncomfortable to play, but <laughs> I'm surprised. Um I don't know where you stood on the WoW Classic opinion uh, uh scale, uh but I'm guessing you're surprised, too, that it's that popular. I I was surprised that it was this popular because, I mean, obviously there were private servers that were available where people could play vanilla and they were moderately popular. Um, I think the the biggest one was like 700K or something. Uh, yeah, I've heard around that range. Maybe yeah. Between two and five is is what I heard, but I'm sure it, fluctu- it fluctuated. Yeah, so, I mean, there's obviously, there has been interest in this. I'm surprised it has so much, like, wide appeal, because I know I'm going to give it a try, 
The reason I want to try it is because I didn't actually come to World of Warcraft until after Cataclysm, like very late Cata, early Mists of Pandaria is when I started playing. So all of this, like I never saw the world before Deathwing. So right. this is all new to me. And uh, I am really excited to get in there and, and give it a try, but I'm going to play it very casually. Like, I don't want to raid. I don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. It's going to be the kind of thing where I jump in and I'm like, oh, this looks like a fun quest. Let me try it and then <laughs> jump out. So I'm not going to play it in any kind of serious fashion, but I am worried a little bit about the longevity of this game. Like, I don't think that it's going to maintain the same level of popularity that it has on launch because... I think there's a lot of like rose colored glasses when it comes to vanilla and not necessarily about the game, but I think about the gamer, because I think that if you think about this game, like this game would have come out when you were 30 and, you know, a lot of other players were in their, you know, teens and twenties and, 20s and don't have the responsibilities that they do now. Like they could sit <laughs> down and play eight hours of wow in a night and it was no big deal, but we're having trouble even putting together a raid team in retail right now because people don't have two hours twice a week to, to come together. So I think that um, the lives of people who have, who may have experienced classic and are really looking forward to getting back in there, they're just, their outside real lives have changed so drastically in the last 15 years that I think they're going to struggle to find the time to devote to classic the same way that they did in vanilla. And I think that's really going to kill it. Hmm. Yeah, I think there definitely the the population is going to go down dramatically, which we'll never know about because they're not going to release those numbers. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I I don't know if you saw the video that uh, Blizzard made about the original mem some members of the original development team um, trying it, uh, trying classic and reminiscing how it was back then, and it kind of opened my eyes a little bit to something that you mentioned, which is people this is one of the few experiences in general in the world where people can relive a period of their not even youth but like 15 years ago because there was no way to play that any other game most other games you can go and play somehow if you're nostalgic about it this for 15 years it was impossible to experience again so the the attraction of that and i think rose colored glasses and kind of like wanting to relive that period of your life is somehow you know in a way it's going to be possible with this i don't think it's going to last very long for many people but it's something that i hadn't really considered that is probably a strong motivation whether consciously or unconsciously for many people and part of the enjoyment which I think it's they're going to have. And then there's a whole other section of the population, which, like you, I was surprised, have never played that version of the game and not only are curious about it, but are also discovering elements of the game that work really well when you play, you know, to max level, probably. Uh, that is, you know, the game is much harder, much more difficult to get groups together. All of those conveniences that were added throughout the life of the game I didn't realize that they did have value when you play you play it kind of like a single player game. It becomes a problem only once you've play, you're playing so much that you don't want to deal with the tedium. But a lot of people are getting in and discovering that kind of tedium and it's actually enjoyable when you first start playing. It was for me back then. So that's another aspect I didn't 
realize. But um, yeah, it's 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 a very special thing. I'm I'm happy that so many people are going to be enjoying it. Probably not. I'll play it, but like I was joking <laughs> on the instance uh, a few days ago. Um, I'll play it, but I I remember someone was asking me, well, "Won't you play it at all?" I'm like. I remember it very well. I played a lot of that game. It's like I know exactly what it is. I know the experience that it is. So I don't know if it's because I'm more of a gamer. Or I've played nonstop since then. Or But I, I, it's not like I'm going to try something and go like, oh, my God, this was so fun. I'm going to play something that I can play in my mind already. So I don't know. It's like I remember it very well. So. Anyway, we'll see. Maybe in a couple of months, I'll be like, oh, my God, Classic is so cool. I have three level 60 characters and I'm raiding every night, maybe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I would be shocked if you could find that kind of time. But I, I, I believe in you, Patrick. I, I would be <laughs> shocked as well. I mean, my, my job is to talk about tech and games. So I would probably have more times than more time than most other people. I also have a kid, so that plays a, into it as well. But uh, I just... <laughs> Now, the, the time that I would spend, that's another thing. Back then, you would usually play, there were, weren't as many big games. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there would be maybe a couple of big, excellent games a year. And so you would play WoW as your baseline, play, go out, go away and play those games two or three or four times a year and then come back. Now, every month, there are four games you want to play. So it's a very different environment. And all of them are destiny for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that's not true I also play Fire Emblem and uh, uh, Overwatch I restarted playing and now I'm going to have to play Dead by Daylight so there you go alright that is going to be it for this episode thank you so much for uh, being with me Joss would you tell the kind people listening where they can find uh, you on the internet uh, absolutely. I'm on Twitter and Twitch at Joss Plays. That's J-O-C-E Plays. You can uh, come watch me. I stream uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So do come and check out the stream. I also do uh, podcasts, all kinds of podcasts. I have a Warcraft podcast called For Azeroth. I have a Hearthstone podcast called The Angry Chicken. I have a general gaming podcast called The Gamers In. I'm all over the place. So uh, do come and check me out. Excellent. Uh, the link to your Twitter account will be in the show notes as per usual. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And this uh, show is hosted at Frenchspin.com. So if you want to comment, you can do that uh, at the site, Frenchspin.com. Uh, and that is going to be it. We will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we love you all. Bye. Bye.